0: Welcome to Politics on the Prairies, a podcast about politics in Western Canada. I'm your host, Ryan Catello, and I'm tired of the idea that politics should be off limits. Also, my friends are tired of me talking politics at parties, so I decided to start a podcast where I interview politicians, entrepreneurs, and anyone else with something to say. The goal is to create a dialogue across parties and hopefully get people thinking about who they're voting for and why it's important. There may even be some good old-fashioned debate. If you want to be part of the conversation, Join us on politics on Fridays. Hey everyone, I'm here with Dennis Page. Uh, Dennis Page is an entrepreneur in Saskatoon. Is that right, Dennis? That's right. Trying to get things going on. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Um, You know, I heard I read uh, Dennis's uh, interview with the Star Phoenix, and then I heard a short CBC. uh, clip that had aired sort of in response to the Black Lives Matter uh, protests uh, that are happening in the U.S. and, and in some cases in, in some cities in, in Canada right now. Um, the reason I, I wanted to get your, your take on things, is cause it seemed like you had something to say, you were willing to talk, and it seemed like your other segments were just really short. <laughs> yeah, they were. There's there's a lot there's a lot to say, and I think that uh, even when and when people are asking me questions, I have to decide what what story or what instance uh, am I going to talk about. So yeah, so uh, when 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 I spoke with you, I thought it was a really good idea to be able to talk a little more in depth about some of those issues and how I feel and some of the things that I've experienced here in Saskatoon and not just in Louisville. Yeah. Okay. And so that's a perfect uh, you know starter. Um, Dennis is from Louisville, Kentucky, um, so before coming to Saskatoon and starting his business, is it a boxing business or did, what's the business? Well,
1: I'm, uh, you said entrepreneur, so I'm into, I'm into a, a few different things. Okay. I'm doing the boxing business, mm-hmm. right? I'm doing, and I promote professional boxing, I promote amateur boxing. I train and I train and promote amateur and professional boxers I see. I'm also uh, I'm also a mental health therapist in um, in Saskatoon and I also um, and right now I'm in the process of of starting a, uh, a canine a, a canine business with my kids right uh, I was in the military and so uh, my children my kids have asked me to uh, start a they want to start a, 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 a business where we train we train uh, dogs for protection we train security dogs for compound lots you know that type of thing i see so yeah so a little bit of this a little bit of that you know the, the things that i've uh the, the things that i
0: spent money to learn how to do i want to start taking advantage of some of those things i see and uh so, like most entrepreneurs, you're 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 doing a few different things. You have multiple s- sources of income, right? Okay. And so, in case uh, anyone listening hasn't guessed already, um, Dennis Page is a black entrepreneur, <laughs> right? And um, so, you know, before being in Saskatoon, before starting um, these businesses and doing these things here, you 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 uh, were born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. Is that right? Right. Uh- and raised in Louisville. Uh, I spent some time in West Virginia with my grandparents but but I was born and raised in Louisville. Okay um and you had said kind of before we were talking before we started recording uh that Louisville the city is a really democratic city but the state itself is very republican is that right?
1: Oh yeah uh really big time you know it's when Doing each one of the presidential elections, as a matter of fact, you know they don't even uh, have really big um, big conferences in Louisville because it, uh, the Democrats, because it's such a Republican-oriented state. But Louisville, you know, Louisville itself is a very democratic place.
0: Okay, and did you live? So you lived right in the city, Louisville?
1: Right, I lived right in uh, right in the city. We were raised right in the projects. Uh, As the projects were uh, where we were raised, called Beach of and, and they say it's uh, they being the, you know, the, the news media and all that say that it's supposed to be the worst, the worst housing project uh, in in Louisville. I don't know. You know. When you're raised, when you're raised in that environment, you don't think that you're uh, you don't think that you're, you're
0: poor. You don't think any of those things. You just think that you know this is where I live. Right. Um, What's that place? What's that that project's called? You said? Beach of Terrace. Beach of Terrace. Yeah. And the 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 really uh, crazy thing about the projects
1: that we lived, where we lived, it was maybe what uh, eight or nine blocks from the main police station, eight or nine blocks from downtown, uh, four or five blocks from the Greyhound bus station. Projects where we grew up was close to everything else uh, that was going on, but it was still its own world, right?
0: It was just sort of ignored, overlooked, or or cornered, right? Exactly. Put in the corner. Um, So tell me a little more about what what life was like in that area. Um, What were, you know, what was um, your interactions like with the police, for instance, as a little kid and then as a teenager?
2: Were the insurance people that came around or hmm. uh, uh, there were uh, I guess
1: maybe about six or seven blocks from where we lived there's a uh, another part of Louisville right of where it was predominantly uh white people but we always thought that those guys over there were cool because they had the same thing that we had,
0: really you know, so, so there was like a right. separate project that you felt like was um Seemed just as poor, but was white people. Right. Well, yeah, but they weren't. They were projects, but we. But they were. They Different were, setup. Uh, they. They had houses and okay. things like this, but they were all poor. They were poor like us. We okay.
1: didn't. We, we. didn't know we were poor, but we knew that they had the same things we had. So they were always cool with us. We played ball together. Yeah. We. Uh, we went over there to hang out, but they had
0: their own school. You know, they went to a different school, which was dominantly white. We went to a school that was all black. Really? Yeah. Did you have Did you have black teachers? The majority of the teachers in our
1: uh, in our schools, both our junior high school, well, all three of our schools, our elementary school, our junior high school, and our high school were,
0: uh, I know, eighty percent black. Yeah. You know, in all of those schools, yes and were the were the police 80% black or were the police was the police force mostly white? T recollection. Oh, like poli- oh, the police the police department was was primarily uh white guys.
1: Yeah. And there were some some black police officers, and I think that there were a few there were a few um Interviews on on television, you know, these past few weeks, where they talked to uh, black police officers. The thing that uh, we feared the most were the black police officers. We didn't we didn't so much fear the white police officers. We know that if they came in, it was going to be serious. But we feared the black police officers because we uh, the, our parents told us and everyone told us that when the black police officers came in, they were being sent in because. Uh, they had to deal with the situation. So the black police officers were going to be twice as mean as the as the white police officers. So whenever there were black police officers that, that came into the projects, <laughs> we would run. We would get away as, as quick as possible. Really? Because the, yeah, because the idea was that they were going to be twice as mean as the white police officers. Whether that was true or not, you know, who's to say, but that was what we were taught then.
0: So do you think that was like a power dynamic where the, the black police officers were trying to prove themselves or prove themselves to be tough, or do you think that they were being used in the more dangerous situations? I think that the,
1: um, that the black police officers were, were felt that they had to show that they weren't just, they, just, they weren't just talking. I see. That they
0: actually, they they actually had a job to do, and they were going to do the job to the best of their abilities. I see. But you guys all had that understanding in your neighborhood that you were more right. more fearful of the of the black police officers because of the dynamic there, and that exactly. there wasn't that many yeah. of them, huh? Oh yeah, and, you know, and and that was what we were taught, you know, and and yeah. I think that that goes back to that whole systemic. I mean, and, and that's the thing that. Uh, is is um, I believe that people don't understand when you talk about systemic racism. I mean, you know, we were taught that as kids that you know the black police officers were worse than the white police officers. Hmm. You know, we were ta- we were taught that. And so you're
1: talking about uh, everyone in 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 housing project. Whenever black police officers would cruise through the cruise through the hood, we were out of there. We would run. Oh we would goodness. hide. We, you know, I mean, you know, and they might just be riding through to, you know, just riding through because it's part of their patrol. Yeah. <laughs> we, and we wanted to be
0: away from that. Huh. Okay, okay. So that's some of the dynamic uh, uh, in that area at the time. And then you said at school, 80% of your teachers um, were, were black, but you said the school itself wasn't racially diverse. Did you have any any white kids at your school? Not like one or two or five? No, not
1: when I went to high school. Not in not in Louisville, not at the high school that I went to. Uh, when I moved to uh, West Virginia, uh, my all of my friends you know, um, were going to jail, were being arrested, were stealing, and my dad he just didn't tolerate that. You know, he didn't tolerate any of those, any of that type, type of uh, goings on, and so. When all of my friends were being arrested and and going to you know and going to jail and going to uh, juvie and all that, my parents decided to send me to live with my grandparents
0: again. Really? Just to get you out so, of the area, or what?
1: Yeah. I mean, I went to I moved from Louisville, Kentucky to a little a little place called Beckley, West Virginia.
0: Oh man. And okay, so that you went from Democratic area though to Republican area, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah. And I went from an all black. Predominantly
0: white school. Really? Yeah. Okay, so what was that transition like? <laughs> I know that's going to be digging deep probably. And, uh, you know, you got to stop me, Dennis, if I ever cross a line, of course. I don't know. This is a tough one, oh, you know? <laughs> no. We're good. No,
1: we're good. Okay. Well, you know, it was really, I think the, the thing that was more challenging than anything else was the school curriculum. Right. as far as getting uh, along with the with with, uh, with the folks hey right, that wasn't any big deal because we were always you know my, my brothers you know we were we were athletes so okay. we interacted we, we interacted with 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 white guys all the time you know as athletes right uh, and like I said there was that area you know of across Market Street, right, that whole area, it was called Portland. And so that the, the whole Portland area, that area was predominantly white guys. And so those guys, we interacted, we played ball with those guys, we boxed with those guys. So dealing with, uh, you know, hanging out with white guys when I went to a predominantly white school wasn't any real big deal. Right. You know, I didn't go through any culture shock because I was
0: used to interacting with white people. Right, right. What? What? How many brothers and what sports? And how many sisters, or if any? Well, uh, my brother was heavyweight champion of the world. He was heavyweight. Right. Excuse me.
1: I said my brother was heavyweight champion of the world.
0: Really? At and, that time, right. or after? Pardon at me? that time or after? After. Okay. After. after, and so we were always boxing. You know, we were you know we were part of a, uh, a boxing. We were part
1: of a boxing program, and we had white guys that were in our boxing club you know that we were really close to we had, and so we would travel together we would, uh, some of the guys that were the assistant coaches in the gym they were white guys. Our primary coach was, uh, he, was a, he was a brother he was an old he was an old black guy from back in the day. Okay. So, so the things that we
0: were used to were the things that were things that other people were not used to that grew up with us right, right I see so so the transition wasn't as hard as it could have been because you you guys played sports um, and you would you basically interacted with white people a lot before that huh right,
1: right. Okay. we interacted with white people on the, on the daily uh, with the, whether we were at the gym training or if it was a, a time when we were uh, Going over in Portland and playing basketball with the guys over there. We were at the, uh, it was a place called uh, uh, Market Street Neighborhood House. Okay. Right? And, and it was right there in Portland, in the area where the, uh, that was a predominantly white area, but those guys, they looked like us. You know, mm-hmm. they wore the same clothes as us and they had holes in their shoes like us and, mm-hmm. you know, they, they took bag lunches to school like us, so, you know, uh, even That's, though they yeah, went right. to one school, we went to another school, we could, uh, we had those shared, you know, we had those things in common.
0: Yeah, it kind of like breaks down a barrier at first, huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Huh, okay, was, so, go ahead.
1: No, it was really bizarre because... Uh, we would go places and we would be hanging out with white guys if we went to a boxing tournament. Yeah. Right? You know, would, it might be uh, eight eight black guys and three white guys. And so when we would go to these tournaments, we would all be hanging together. And so we would go on the tournaments. Like, uh, we went to uh, a couple of tournaments that I fought in in, uh, in, in Atlanta and we, tournaments that we fought in in Ohio. And we would go there with our uh, white gym partners, mm-hmm. And people would be, it would be really strange because people weren't used to seeing that. You know, they would see, there would be all all black boxing clubs, all white boxing clubs, wow. but not ours. You know, even even in even in Louisville, right? Our club was, uh, our club was so diverse. And that was what was crazy. You know, there were clubs that we boxed against where all of the people were either all white, or all black.
0: We were the we would be basically the only club in the city that was a mixed boxing club. Wow. Wow. So was the dynamic of the general population much different when you went to the smaller town as compared to being in Louisville? <laughs> well, we didn't we didn't go out. Uh, our our boxing coach didn't allow us because of that. Our coach didn't
1: allow us in the towns. Really? We would go to we would go to the venue. We would stay in the venue. We would fight in the venue, and then we'd turn around and leave. And we would drive there. Sometimes we might leave at six o'clock in the morning and get back at four o'clock in the morning the next day. But uh, our coaches would never allow us to spend the night in any of those little towns.
0: Wow, I can't imagine being like a. A star athlete in a in a small town and not being able to go out and uh, you know whatever do some drinking or 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 eat even at the <laughs> restaurants or whatever you know.
1: Yeah, no, we didn't, we didn't we didn't do that. I mean, and especially when you know as we started as we started getting older, you know, and then you you start hearing things about uh, you know like what happened at the Denny's restaurant, right, with the black athletes there, right, and, you know, and so it got to the point where our coach, we would go in as a group, and we were not allowed to go outside of
0: that unit Hmm. because he, you know, and and he would always say to us, he had to, you know, we were his responsibility, and he had to make sure that we left and came back (laughs) the same way. Right, right. So that was like, um, it wasn't like a rule, but it was like a policy and you just knew you had to follow it or you'd be what kicked off the team theoretically, or, or they would come down on you in some way, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, our coach, he was, he was the quietest guy, you know, uh, that you ever want to meet. And if he raised his voice at us, you knew that you had really crossed the line. Right. Right. And so... Before we would go any place, he would set us all down on the ring apron and he would say, you know, we're going here, we're going to do this, and then we're coming back. And that was the goal that we followed. You know, we didn't,
0: we didn't feel that there was anything other than what he had said. <clears throat> and so he thinks that the public's going to give you a hard time, or he thinks the police are going to give you a hard time, or both? And yeah. um, you know, and like, when when I when you sit back and he would he would uh, as we got older he would tell us stories of things that had happened to him in little towns. Or, okay. Or my dad would tell us. My dad was born in Georgia, and he would tell us the things that happened to him in Georgia. And so we would so we would definitely. Uh, because we didn't want to experience those things. Of course, you know, we being cocky guys, you know, we say, ah, oh, man, we're not afraid of that. But deep down inside, you know, that if you, if something happened to you in one of those little towns, you might not be seeing your people again, right, your family again, you know, and yeah. your little girlfriends again, your friends. So we didn't, we didn't venture away from, you know, from, from our club. Jeez, so you just it, wrote it yeah, off yep. as being not worth it. Uh, So so it wasn't really enticing, in a sense, once you... Well, yeah, I mean, we felt that he... You know, and it's, it's so
1: crazy how things like that. He made us, our coach made us feel like we were the best, and we were this, and we were great, and we were this. And so he made it, he made us feel like if we went to these other places and we started venturing into those little towns, and we started doing all of those things, that... The people would get
0: PO'd with us because we were the best club and we were coming in there. And and, and so that's how he brought it to us. That's how he sold you on it. Right. What a hell of a coach that guy is.
1: Yeah, he was, man. He was a
0: guy ahead of his time, you know. Wow. Um, Not that he should have to do that, of course. We obviously, but like to, 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 to make it, to spin it that way and to make you guys, I mean, to present it in an educational way. Using his own life stories, man, what a powerful yeah. tool! It, it, it really was, and you know, right now in my own boxing club, yeah, all the all the majority of the stories I tell are the same way, are either stories that his name was Leroy Emerson, right? and so the majority of the stories I tell to my athletes mm-hmm. are stories of Leroy on how he prepared us, on
1: how he got us mentally tough. How he got us emotionally strong mm-hmm. you know all of those things that he did for us when he was an old man wow. and so and 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 I think that and I tell all my boxers you know uh, we feel that he was a guy that was ahead of his time but he prepared us in a different way to deal with to deal with uh, uh, the, the the racial things that could take place in
0: these towns. Right. So that's like the equivalent of, um, you know, I just saw Shaq on Jimmy Kimmel talking about the conversation he has with his kids about if he's, if they're approached by a police officer and, and they get handcuffed and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Have you had that conversation? I've
1: had my, that conversation not only with my, with my own kids, but with, my, uh, but with my boxers. Um, the majority of my boxers come from uh, single-family homes. Okay. Right? And the majority of my boxers are people of color. And, you know, when I hear on television, they say, well, you need to have these conversations with your sons or your daughters. I started having these conversations with my kids before I had sex talk with my kids. Right. And, you know, and, um, and, 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 that's just crazy. That is you know? just but crazy. It, 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 you know, it's important. And I tell, like, I have, a, uh, like, since all these things have been going on, a lot of, I've lost a lot of, uh, I've lost about two or three, of, 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 of
0: the white guys that I thought that were good friends of mine. Right.
1: And, and I've said to those guys before, even before all of these things started happening, I've said to them before. You know, you guys raise your kids differently than I have to raise my
0: kids. You've had that conversation like years ago, you mean? Yes, and, and they, I had to. Okay, how did they respond at the time? And, they,
1: and, and they, he, didn't, he
0: didn't get it, this one yeah. guy, he didn't get it. You yeah. know, um, he didn't get it. You no, know, we just
1: raised that like, you kid, know, no, you no, don't, you don't have to prepare your kids to deal with police officers. You don't have to prepare your kids be pulled over for no reason right right and and my son and my daughter my sons and my daughter I talked to them a long time ago listen before people started uh, it was before people being shot uh, pulled out of cars started being placed on television right i started telling my kids this because it was important, you know. And I think there was someone that was on television, uh, someone that was being interviewed and they were saying, well, black people and people of color have been being strangled, they've been being shot, they've been being beaten to death all these years. Right. And it's
0: just good now that it's being, you know, that it's on television, you know they're being because of the, the the invention of the phone, the, the cell phones and all that, but we have been uh, going through these things for years. This has been happening you know? for so long that you've just completely um, sidestepped the bureaucracy and you've went right into your own family values and family teachings and, and, and you've adapted in that way because you're just not getting a response from the institutions. Well even, you know, uh, Ryan, before you can even deal with the institutions,
1: you have to prepare yourself, you have to prepare your family, because if you, if something happens to one of your children, the first thing that every parent says is, why didn't I, why didn't I, I?" and so, you know, before
0: they go to school, you know, um, you have, I've taught my son, Way back in the day, this is how you have to if you mm-hmm. get pulled over by the police. I mean, my son now is a police officer in Philadelphia. Okay. Okay. Wow, my what a crazy son. time my, for that.
1: Yeah, he's my oldest son. Is a police back. officer yeah. in Philadelphia. Yeah. And I taught him when it
0: happened. happen. Oh, just a sec, Thank Dennis. You, we lost you. Can you repeat that? You taught him what? I, The first thing that you do is put your hands on
1: the steering wheel so that they can't say that you're reaching there and you're doing this, you're doing that. When they tell you to, uh, to they want to see your, your registration or your driver's license, you ask them, hey, man, listen, uh, my, my, uh, my registration is in the glove compartment. Is it all right if I look in there? Right. My wallet is in my pocket. Is it all right if I if I put my hand in my back pocket and get my wallet? I said because we don't want any accidents, dude. Right. You know we don't want them to perceive all of these things. And now that he's a police officer, when he when he you know uh, he was in the he was in the military, and mm-hmm. one of the first things he told me was that you know it's just so crazy how all of that stuff that you taught me, you know, all the things that. I've got to talk to other people about it. I've got, well, if I have a son, I've got to talk to him about that. And as an officer, you know, they talk about, well, if you, if this guy does this, then you need to be alert on that. He says, all of those things that you used to talk, that you taught me you know, for, as a kid are different now when you are an officer. Right. You know, and, you know, and so it's
0: it just, it's, uh, but I believe that we need to start doing that, uh, with, 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 uh, kids when they had a grasshoppers. Yeah. And that's your point where you said, you know, if something happens to your kid, the parents immediately say, um, what could I have done? Um, so you're just, you're getting ahead of it and taking responsibility out the gate and, and saying, this is how you respond. And that becomes, I don't know, what do you call that? Cultural, like transmission, it gets passed on. Um, and, 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 like, you've probably, partly learned some of that from Leroy, your son's now learned it from you, and it's some things that, like, other families have never even heard of, you know? You know? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was trying to explain to
1: this guy that used to be, my you know, my friend, you know, he was close enough to me that he was, uh, uh my son, my oldest son, I'm just talking, that I was saying, is the police officer now. In Philadelphia he uh, is his godfather oh wow oh, and wow. so and I used to say to them all the time you know when you're raising your you're, you're raising your son to view the world differently then I have to raise my son right and what I'm saying is that if you understand that then you understand the dynamics
0: but brothers go through it. Mm-hmm. And that's you all you were I mean, asking of your friend, was to just try to view it in, in your shoes, right? Right,
1: exactly. And even with everything that's been going on, you know, uh, with uh, systemic racism, you know, there's this this word of, you know, uh, uh, systemic racism. And, and, then, and I think so many people don't understand the idea of Systemic racism, you know, and I think that it just flies over so many people's heads that they hear systemic racism and they, well, I'm not a racist. I'm not a racist. I'm not this. Mm-hmm. I'm not that. But it's so many. It it, it reaches so deep into every every system that
0: exists the family mm-hmm. system the political system you know whether you're working at insurance companies or car lots or you know a body shop it's in everything and I don't think that people understand what it's in right right it's not because people I think well I, I don't want to impose maybe I shouldn't but I um you know I, I think that the tendency is to think, oh, systemic racism means someone can get fired over that, right? And then you replace them with someone else. But the reality is, who trained that person that you fired? Because they just took the fall for it. It, The training happened within the company and somebody trained that person, you know? And that's where it becomes, it's part of the system. You can't just fire someone and then it's it's not just one company. It's in that company and that institution and that public service. And you, you, you span it over you know, eight different um, resources, and then it's very much systematic.
1: Exactly. And that's what people don't understand. And, you know, even with like, the guys I said that, you know, we are no longer friends, you know, uh, they have a problem understanding that a family, you know, whether, whether or not we want to get uh, articulate with it or not, a family is a system. Right? our family is a system and in a family we teach things that we were taught you know we don't come out of the womb being racist yeah we don't come out of the womb saying racist things you know those things are systematically taught to us if we're sitting there and someone sees uh, uh, and the kids are sitting around watching television and they see uh, something, and, and they are, and they see something happen with uh, with people of color on on television. And one of their parents makes a racist remark. Oh, that's going to go into their long term memory. So mm-hmm. when something like that resembles what they see, oh, bang, that's going to come out. And and I think that it's important that we understand that and we address that. You know, um, I mean, there are so many stories. I think that every person of color. Ryan has a story. I mean, I've got, I've got drawers full of them. You know, whether, I mean, I was shooting pool once. Mm-hmm. And uh, shooting pool now, shooting pool with guys that I thought they were, they were my friends. Yeah. And one of the guys, dad. And without uh, missing a step, he was shooting on the eight ball. And so without missing a step, without missing a beat, he didn't even look up. And he says, blank ball in the corner pocket. And of course, everyone got quiet and started looking at me. And his response was, uh, you know, uh, uh, sorry. You know, that's what we've always called it.
0: Did you say blank ball? Well, he called it the N-word. Gotcha, vocabulary. gotcha. I thought you had first said black ball, and I was no, thinking I said, the eight ball is black. Gotcha. You no, said, I said blank. I, I said blank. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know what you mean now. Okay. Right. And, and, yeah, that's, what we, and wow. that's what we've always called it. We've always called it that. And I said, well, see, that makes no sense to me. Right. And I got, a, and
1: I got PO, right, because I said, that makes no sense to me. I said, you know, you are a person of color. Right, I said, and you feel that it's okay
0: to be derogatory to other people of color. Mm-hmm. Well, I never really thought about it.
1: I said, you know, I said, that makes it even worse.
0: Yeah, because you're saying that maybe somebody had called it that originally, and maybe his first or second time playing pool, but he had the opportunity since then to not call it that anymore. Exactly, and and this was guy who I considered my friend's dad it just happened something that he's been saying for quite a while right
1: and so that's the thing I'm saying you know people don't understand these things that we teach our kids these things and that that because the family is a system we have to start uh, we have to start educating our kids then you know right the police department,
0: the insurance companies, you know, the, uh, the GM, all those places, they're the only places that have systemic racism. Right. Right? You know, um, and the example that I gave with the guy shooting pool. Yeah. He was, he was an old dude. Right. And had, I mean, he, we yeah. had he thought yeah. about it, he probably wouldn't have said that. But that yeah. shows the power of not only um, teaching your kids... Um, you know it, it, be, it goes beyond teaching your kids what not to say you know they think a certain way but then they know what not to say and then they can say oh I'm not racist it, it, actually, it actually goes deeper where you have to actually not think that way so you don't accidentally say it one day exactly <laughs> you know, and, and you know Ryan that is what
1: is so that is what is so crazy because as black people we teach our kids there are certain things that you don't say. You don't, you know, there are certain ways that you don't act. There's certain ways that you don't treat people. You know, you don't say uh, racial this, or you don't say this, such and such that. You know, if a person is a butthole, then you call them a butthole because they're a butthole, not because they are this complexion or that complexion. We as black people raise our kids like that. That is what is so bizarre and that's what i was trying to explain to to this guy that used to be my friend i was trying to explain to him that okay you raised your you know you raised your son to go out and to do this and this and this and if you stop out what have you ever
0: told your son when he, when if he's pulled over by the police yeah he says, well you know i've never had that conversation with him. i said i did right i had the conversation with my sons with my daughter i, said, I did and and not as um You know, not as a, like, laissez-faire thing, but as, like, a matter of survival, right? Exactly. As a matter
1: of survival, you know. Um, And I don't, I didn't
0: have it just once. Yeah. You know, I had it over and over. (laughs) I've had that
1: conversation with my kids so many times that when they get ready to go out of town, I say, okay, guys, you know, we need to talk about this. Oh, God, Dad, you've been telling us this since we were six years old.
0: Right. Okay, so speaking of being pulled over... Um, by the police you had uh, kind of briefly touched on in, in the uh, Star Phoenix article a time when your brother was in town uh, in Saskatoon here and you guys were cruising down around Circle Drive for people listening that's just the perimeter of Saskatoon essentially and it was 6am and you passed the police officer and you looked at your brother and said something to the effect of I'll bet you 20 bucks that guy pulls us over and it happened yeah. He, he, uh, he whipped around. Um, yep. you get pulled over and then what did the cop say it was for? Well,
1: uh, he didn't say it was for, he said that in Saskatchewan, uh, that in Saskatchewan, the, the police can pull over a vehicle at any time that they choose to check, uh, to check identification.
0: And rather than, rather than fight with him on that, it kind of sounds like bullshit you just said okay um and and uh, here's my id sort of thing right and remember remember uh i'm from i'm from kentucky and we used to and so when when he came to the so when he walked up to the vehicle i had my hands on the steering wheel and my brother had his hands up on the dash yeah
1: right right so you know so we we're from the place where you know uh you might you might verbalize some things but you don't you don't get into a whole lot of uh, verbal conversation because they are the ones with the pistols.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I shouldn't. I'm ignorant of that law if it exists in Saskatchewan. I've never been pulled over for it just to be checked for no reason. I usually had something, you know, a signal or something out or whatever. There's always been a reason speeding that I've been... Yeah, there's always... Exactly. Um, Okay, and then you said... You were saying you had a similar experience at the YMCA. Were they like close together in time?
1: Well, I was at, no. This was like this was
0: months apart, years apart. I mm-hmm. was at Twenty Second Street in Idaho, and I turned left onto uh, I turned left onto uh, onto Twenty Second Street, yeah.
1: and the police and the police officer was uh, she was in uh, she was in the uh, lane, she was in the lane behind me, and so when I turned right. She flipped, as soon as I turned on to 22nd Street, in front of the watch, she flipped on her lights.
0: Just because, and the same sort of thing, no reason? No reason, I asked,
1: her I asked her, what's the problem, officer? She said, yeah, I, uh, license and registration, please. Right. I said, and of course, I went through that same proclamation. Uh, my, uh, Is it cool if I get my, uh, my registration? It's in the glove. Right. Yep. Okay, my wallet is in my pocket. Is that cool? Yep. So I went, reached in the console, got my, uh, got my insurance, gave her the registration of the of the vehicle, gave her my license. She walked back to the vehicle. Mm-hmm. She came back, said you had a good day, mm-hmm. and drove off.
0: And that was the extent of it. Didn't say because I asked her, why did I pull it? Why did I pull? It? Why did you pull me over? It? Was is there a problem officer? Yeah. License and registration, please. Didn't, didn't uh, dignify you with a response, even. Nope. nope. But you knew the game because of your survival I, tactic that's been passed on to you, and you employed it there. Exactly. Hmm. And the same thing, I did exactly the same thing that, that I... gears that was taught to me. And, you know, what is really unfortunate is that when my children have children, they will have their uh, children, thing that I taught them still here in Saskatoon here in Saskatoon uh, you know like I've had people to tell me uh, there's no racism in Saskatoon but my kids will have to teach the same thing to their children if they ever have children right uh, you know that we got to touch on that because uh, it was in the CBC article I think or the CBC clip um, you moved to Saskatoon you were you know working with a business partner uh, on a space a, a boxing gym or whatever, right? And uh, this guy right. said to you, aren't you glad that you moved to Canada where there's no racism here? Is that right?
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, he, own, he owned the building.
0: Okay, okay.
1: He owned the building. And and I started laughing.
0: You started laughing right in the conversation with him. Right, I started laughing. <laughs> you know, I was sitting there, you know. And, and I said, dude, well, and, and this was just so... What so remarkable about the conversation,
1: right? uh, He says to me, "I said, dude, what do you call what's happened to First Nations people all this time?" He looked at me. He didn't wink. He didn't blink. He didn't smile, right? He didn't hesitate. Mm-hmm. He said to me, "Well, Dennis, that's just different." I said, "What?" He said, "That's different." I said, "You look through i starting to get pissed off. And so I got up and I walked back into the gym area. Yeah.
0: You know, to actually huh. say that, there, and, and you know, that there's a difference. Yeah, that's someone who, 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 that's someone who's not
1: getting it. And again, we're talking about uh, a person that owned, uh, owned a building. That <laughs> person had he had a son I
0: was training his son right. and the thing that these are things that were being taught that were being passed on right and that's where again it's systematic in that the guy owns the building you know he may have who knows may have a, a rags-to-riches story or he may have just inherited the building from his dad and mm-hmm. you've got to come in and work with this guy and his dumb racist beliefs because of that, you know, because he's got a space in town, you need access to that space, you know, there's an avenue there, and so you're immediately in a subservient position to this guy.
1: Exactly. Yeah. You know, exactly. And so you have to, like you said, you have to uh, choose the things that you want to say. And I got to the point, Ryan, where I said, hey, man, screw this. Right. You know, uh, I got to the point where that I refused, you know, I refused to allow Anything like that to be said around me? I mean, you know, there's. I got all kinds of incidents, instances. You know, uh, someone stole my vehicle, and I was in. Uh, I had to go to the, go to court. You know, to talk about my vehicle being stolen. So um, I walk into I walk into court. Hadn't been there before, so I walk into the court and. The deputy sheriffs had told me, you know, uh, you can find out what courtroom you were in but you know, over there on the docket is on the wall. <laughs> I walked over and I'm looking at the docket without any word of a lie. This white guy in a suit jacket walks over to me and says, Dennis, you're in courtroom number one. And I turned around and said, who are you? He says, I'm a cop. I said, okay, who are you? He says, all you need to know is that I'm a cop. I said, okay, I don't know you. I've never had any involvement with you. How do you know me? Right. And My friend would say, come on, D, come on. I want to know how does he know me? I've never had any interaction with this guy. I've never talked to him. But all he could tell me is he's a cop. And so we walked in the car. I mean, you know, there's, every person of color can, you know, has a, has a story like that. So, what do you, you think know, was
0: happening there basically is that uh, they assumed. Did you say your car got stolen and so they assumed that you were in there for something else?
1: No, no. Uh, he knew me. There was no reason for him to know me.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. Like he looked right. you up. The, right, right, right.
1: You know, he would. Uh, so, why did he know me then? Mm hmm.
0: Prior to that date, too. You know, when they told me that uh, well, I didn't get a notice from an individual that said
1: I had to go to court, I got a notice through the mail. Right? Yeah. I didn't, my picture wasn't associated with the docket, or my picture wasn't associated with me committing a crime. Why did that person who said he was a cop know me? Hmm. It, it, it really pissed me off
0: yeah yeah no i I can see that I completely get that uh, it's that's basically I guess being profiled right exactly yeah exactly yeah
1: and and when I tried to, when I explained that to to my friend like my the friend that the guy who we were really friends who was my son's uh, godfather we were uh you know he used to be in that system
0: okay, okay, right I right. see how that could be so, problematic, especially in the relationship. Right. And well, well, since there is, since the Black Lives Matter protests have been going on, you know, we um we haven't been able to, our friendship has really been strained. Okay. And one of the things that's been going on and one of the things that him and I had talked about before uh, was he had a problem with women doing certain jobs. And he felt that there wasn't, he felt that there wasn't there was no
1: racism in the organization he worked in there was just a problem with some of the guys uh they felt that women couldn't do the same jobs that guys do and i was trying to explain to him that that is the same thing and i think that that's one of the problems that's, that that a lot of people are having they can't understand that uh, that discrimination or racism regardless whether it's toward black people Brown people, whether it's uh, toward women, toward uh, uh, people that uh, have uh, gender differences, that it's all discriminatory, it's all racist issues, and that's what uh, a lot of people don't seem to be understanding. And you know, him and I, our relationship is has been strained because of all of those things. Um, he doesn't seem to understand that when. When black people are saying black lives matter that it's not saying that white lives doesn't matter and because that's what he was saying well you know white lives matter why can't you just say uh, all lives you're missing the whole point the point is not to minimize white lives mattering it's to it's to say black lives matter also Mm -hmm. you know and uh, there was an example of the guy that that got uh, who was a, a, a big, he was a big cheese in the judicial uh, setting in Minneapolis. And he got fired because he was taking down, um, he was taking down posters that said Black Lives Matter. And one of the, and one of the people, one of the, the, the person that took the video was saying, hey, you know, you can't take that Black Lives do Matter. And here's a person who's a, a really uh, has a high position within the judicial department, and he says, "Black lives don't matter to me."
0: Yeah, I saw that actually. Um, uh, like really tall guy in like biker shorts or something. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, well, there's two videos. The one, the guy in the biker shorts, he also got fired on on the bicycle. But uh, right, I do remember him saying that. Um, black lives don't matter to me and like that's someone in the institutions in the system but Exactly exactly, and, and that's what I was trying to explain to him that you know those are things that are ingrained they are um, those things that are part of a System-wide thing this is a guy who's been working for the judicial department with they say 15 or 20 years, right? So mm-hmm. how many people is he affected with that mindset, right?
1: exactly you know guys he's having lunch with you know his his family people his friends because okay let's face it you know we we associate with people that are like-minded to us that are like us you know uh when you're part of a team you hang out with the guys that are on that team
0: you know, when, yeah. you know whether it's a bowling team so you know it's you know we hang out with people that are like us right i think that uh the best counter i've heard to uh that this all lives matter is just a very simple, um, you know, all lives don't matter technically until you prove to us that black lives matter, right? Because how can all lives matter until you prove that? And I just thought that was super powerful and a really, uh, just simply put, I, I can't remember where I saw it, it was on Twitter, but um, yeah. Okay, so I wanna move on to this uh, second last question I got for you. Uh, So what drives racism now, for the most part? Is it systematic, like in in, in institutions, like police departments, or is it uh, more corporate and it runs down? Um, Is it just ignorance on the part of the general public? Or do you find that the general public is pretty good and and it's the institutions that are worse? Um, Is it both? Is it something else altogether? I think it has. A little of all of those elements in it, and I think that when we're talking about um, when, we, when we start
1: talking about racism and discrimination all of those things, I think that, uh, like I said earlier, it all goes back to what's going on in the families. You know uh, I've got a, a really good friend of mine, you know, and uh, she married um, she married a brother. You know, she went. She married this one of the guys I know who's from the U.S. And okay. all her life, you know, she had uh, her parents had taught her. You know, how, you know, you want to be included. You know, people of color should be included in this, and they should be included in all of these things. And you know, this is what she was taught. And now, her and her family are made out because she married this this black guy, this brother from the U.S. Mm-hmm. And
0: all of those values that she was taught changed. When uh, and, and and she was devastated, the guy was pretty P.O. because Gosh. now as a family
1: the first thing that they were saying is, Well yeah, that's good
0: for other people's family. Right. But we didn't want them in our family. So
1: I think that all of those things that we like uh, that you just mentioned have sprinkles of them in every institution, and I think that when we're teaching our kids, when we're interacting with each other, that we ought to be real about what we believe, that if given the opportunity, people of color, women, everyone, we can be on the same page and we can generate prosperity. And I think that those are things that we need to understand, uh, I believe, with every ounce of my
0: being because I've been in so many different systems that we have to start at, at home and let that breed out. hmm hmm I'm sorry to hear that story. Yeah, but it was it was it was it was a pretty it was pretty harsh. I know there's millions like it. What Canada needs to do to address racism in a meaningful way. Um you're saying it really it starts at home um I, go on yeah, I think so and you know, I think that and I think that even even uh the people that are doing some of the that are that are doing the protests and I think that they need to they need to sit back, you know we need to sit back, and we need to be able
1: to understand that when you're talking about doing positive things that it's going to take. Uh, it doesn't matter how we feel or how we've been raised, or it matters that we have to take the time to educate other people on our feelings. You know, um, my son, you know, he 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 did one. Of, he was really instrumental in putting together one of the protests here. And and the, and before he did it, him and I we sat down and we talked about all of the ramifications of those actions. And We talked about, you know, we talked about talking to people like yourself to do podcasts and and to do uh, and and the and the reporters. We talked about, you know, dealing with the uh, the backlash of uh, of putting on an event like that. Mm-hmm. And but he still wasn't expecting all of the negative things from a lot of the people that took part in the protest. You know, things like. Why were the police there and you know why didn't you do it like this and, why did you, and so he was really hurt and I've been I've been talking to him a lot because now he's gotten in a position where he, he's taking a position you know what hey amen forget I'm not doing anything else you mm-hmm. know I was I was trying to help bring some awareness and do something positive and people are people are sending me uh, hate mail sending me hate mail he said man that's crazy and hate mail about the
0: I mean? hate mail about the event right right. people that were people that were part of, of, of the event
1: that he put on have been sending him uh what he considers it hate mail saying that well you should have done it like this and the police shouldn't have been there and the police oh, right. you know how could you and and I tried to explain to him son you know regardless of what you do there's going to always be people around you know, that are going to be uh, the ones that are saying you should have done this and you should have done this and why didn't you do this? I said, you can't change those people's minds. I, the thing, the whole purpose of your protest was what? One, to bring awareness. I said, when I mean, we talked about this. We talked about how what was going on in the U.S. was also taking place in Saskatchewan. So you wanted to highlight Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. Said, Part two, Is in order to bring about any positive change, right, there has to be someone who's going to take the hits. I said, the last part of that, son, is that when you're talking about change, right, change has to be, you have to, change has to involve the people and the institutions and the organizations that you want the change to come from. I said, if, if you don't involve the police, If you don't allow the police to say, okay, you know, all of us are like this, okay, we are not, we can, how can we help you? How can we help you? If you're not going to allow those guys to do that, then you're feeding into that whole negative thing. Then You're not trying to do what you're saying that you're protesting about. Yeah. And... And so, and, and I was trying to explain, and it took me, you know, like we we're building a dog kennel. And so it took us a long, it took him a long time to come to that because he, you know, he's, he's a young man and he's feisty and he's got this, uh, and he's got that, that, uh, that university education. And when you
0: start getting that university education, you come out of the university and the first thing that you say is, hey, I can save the world and I have all the answers. <laughs> yeah, don't I know <annoy laughs> it. <laughs>
1: so it's taken. It's been. It's taken a while for him to, you know, to step back and to. And I said, man, don't worry about those guys. You know, you keep doing the things that you feel that. I said, and you know, you and the people that uh, you associate with, you guys are like-minded people. I said, you know, there are going to be people that uh, that are going to knock what you're doing. Okay. I said, but the other thing. uh is one of the one of the emails one of the uh, one of the emails texts whatever that he got yeah. said, uh, he said uh he, he responded to them uh, said well why were the police there and he responded and said the police were there in order to provide a safety net for the protesters. They weren't there to even be involved because uh, he was called and he was told that there might be some outside demonstrators that would come in to try to disrupt the, the walk mm-hmm. and so his question his question to this person that sent him that uh, that message was so what are we supposed to do if those people if those people would have come and tried to disrupt the protest and this person wrote him back and said and he said that's why the police were there in order to deal with those people if they came and this person, and all of the, with all of the infinite wisdom, came back to him and said, "The protesters could have dealt with those guys." <laughs> and, to, and to me, that's the most idiotic thing that you want to say because now you're talking about Antioch. people. Yeah, right. That's exactly where it's at. And and I told son, you cannot fight those type of things. Don't even comment on that. Yeah, you know, uh, I've had, I've had three or four different uh, people to call me and and since that article came out and they called me from block numbers. So I told him the same thing that that, that I do. I don't answer uh, unknown name, unknown numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I did <laughs> a few weeks ago, when the article first came out, I'm... Uh, I'm getting phone calls. People telling me that you don't know all of the story, and if you go to and if you go to YouTube, you'll actually
0: see what happened. And the, and the media is just blowing us out of mind. And I said, listen, mm. first of all,
1: you're calling me from an unknown name, unknown number.
0: Yeah, so they don't want any accountability to you.
1: Exactly. I said so. If you don't have enough gumption in order to leave your name and your phone number on the phone, don't call me again. You know, we have not and so those things happen whenever you take the position of of of, of speaking what a lot of people feel, but are kind of sort of nervous to say. Those Mm -hmm. are things you know you're going to receive that, and that's what I try to explain him. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, he's. He's going to keep on with you know doing those things, but we'll see how it goes.
0: No, I think you're right. I think, um, and I hope, I mean, your advice is right. I know your advice is right. You're right to tell him, keep going. And you're right to tell him, like, I think, in my opinion, personally, I think you're right to tell him that, you know, real change will involve the institutions and, and stuff like that. And since he's already, you know, got connections in them, he's that much further along. And, um, in, in, in being able to, to kind of implement that change. And, you know, the, the most negative people on emails and on Twitter and stuff, they really, they rarely do anything. You know, you don't get a lot of negativity from like movers and shakers and people who are putting things together. If anything, they'll reach out sometimes I've found and they'll say, you know, how can I help? This is a tough thing to do. Like, can I, can I work on it with you? And. And the people that you, you I don't want to say that you need to ignore them because feedback is important for growth and stuff, but you know, it's the people that hit you two days after the event, three days after the event, they were never going to contribute anything positive anyways, you know, police there, police <laughs> not there.
1: Yeah. That's what i been trying to explain to me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, and I, I get the sentiment. I think it's kind of a common thing, actually. I like, I've heard, I've heard other people talk about it when you're especially when you're in your early 20s and you've got a lot of fire to fix things. Like, you know, when you're finally starting to understand certain problems about the world and and it's like, okay, I can put some effort behind this and fix it. Uh, And then it falls flat because of a lot of negativity and flack and pushback and, you know, maybe just your own um, misunderstandings and stuff um, or whatever whatever have you. But then I, I try to look at people like, you know, Barack Obama and like Bernie Sanders and Barack Obama I think he took so much flack and I think it's even more being highlighted now in um in uh in the Trump years how how much Barack Obama had to put up with. Like I didn't realize that the Republican Senate led by Mitch McConnell um just blocked everything that he ever put on the floor outright. Can you imagine how frustrating that would be?
1: Yes, I can. I, I do that you know I've experienced that same thing since I've been here in in Saskatchewan. You know, uh, I I it's taken me so it's taken me all of the years, ten or fifteen years, to accomplish what I have here. Right? Um, and I've had people that have worked with me that have said, "I can't believe this! I can't believe this! I can't believe it! I can't believe these things are happening! I can't believe these you you're being stalled like that." Mm-hmm. You know, hey, that's the way that it is. I can't believe this. You know, and it's in every system. You know, I mean, uh, it's in every system that, that, that is um, that's available, regardless of where it is. It's out there. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, you know, even when people are, even like I was mentioning earlier about the guy that, him, he's a, he wants to really, he's, he lives in Canada, in Saskatchewan, but he wants to really have this voice about U.S. politics. And, and about what president, said, what the, Obama didn't do this, he he said, you know, the first thing you need to understand is that presidents bring stuff to the floor. I said, there are other organizations that have the say, the yay, and the nay. I mm-hmm. said, if you want to start spewing out what uh, the president didn't do, what Obama didn't do, then what you need to do is first look at what was going on with the Senate. Those are the guys that have a lot of say. Those are the guys that either say, yeah, we want this, or they can do anything they can to put a halt to it. Mm-hmm. And but they if, did. You know, they did. Yeah, they did. They did. They stopped an awful lot of things that they wanted to do. And, and I think that a lot of the people they don't understand. They don't understand. They don't understand how much the top of the top levels of systems filter down and affect the daily lives until it affects them individually
0: totally or tell they see it happening to a friend of theirs like yourself who is getting stalled on you know um a, p- a piece of commercial zoning or something for whatever right. reason and it's like wow why is that happening to you when i did this it was real quick right? <laughs> for people listening we had to uh, stop this podcast um after like forty-five minutes, and then restarted it, um, and in that, in a few days uh, between finishing the, the the second half of the podcast, um, I had thought about about what you had mentioned about being in court when your truck got stolen, and it, it kind of hit me after the podcast I was catching up, and it's you know when you say that you were profiled and the guy knew who you were, the the plainclothes police officer knew who you were, um, I realized it's probably because. And, and, and maybe going too far again, I'm going to get serious flack on this, but uh, probably because, the, you know, they might have profiled you thinking, like, uh, did this guy's truck really get stolen? Did he, uh, is this like insurance fraud? You know, is, is something like that, perhaps. Because how else would he have known who you were? Right? Why would he have looked into it? Exactly. It was, exactly. It's, it's really weird. Yeah, It's. it was weirder after a few days got by, but then I could see like how it's like an invasion of privacy. It's kind of like someone being in your house or something. It's just like, you know something about me when you don't need to like, exactly. You know, I've got a, a good friend of mine and, uh, and, you know, I haven't uh, seen her in, in, in a lot of years. And so we've sitting there
1: talking true. and I told her and I was explaining to her, you know, if you had any idea of, the things that I've gone through trying to get to where I am now and she said to me I have she says I have she said I have been trying to do these things for my kids for the last 20 years She said, and I've run into all kinds of all types of either provincial blocks or either uh, uh, city blocks She said, I understand exactly what you've been going through this you've been going through this for 15 or 20 years and so have I to try to do something for women mm-hmm. and my and my kids and you've been trying to do it for um for this for whatever it is that you do She so said, i understand it whether you've been trying to do it for the programs that you've been trying to open and you've been roadblocks so i i understand i've run through that for the last 20 years mm. and it's just unfortunate that you know we have to you
0: know go on uh, Go on the podcast and do interviews and all of those things in order to try to bring some awareness to people that these things actually happen. It doesn't. It's not just on television. It's not just in the U.S. It's right here in Saskatoon. hmm hmm And we don't we don't think about it and we don't talk about it and we are not actively doing anything to change these institutions up until maybe a few months ago, it feels like, huh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: And I've got, so, you know, I've lost, I've lost some friends over this, and, and one of the guys, before I walked away from him, and I told him, I said, okay, well, he said, well, you know, it's the end of our friendship. I said, well, if you actually look at it, we won't, if, if these, these are your feelings. You know, and we've been talking about these for you know for these past few years uh, maybe we really weren't that we really they weren't friends we were just you know some associates We were just some people that had uh, some uh, some things in common with each other mm-hmm. because when because friends are people that are of like mind so when we were talking these things that means that you were just blowing smoke which I'm fine with right? but now that we're at this point, let's not let's not all of a sudden say I didn't know that you felt like that. Or, I didn't know why are you involved with that? Why am I involved with it? because it's important to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know it's unfortunate it's unfortunate when and it's you know it's kind of saddening when you've gone through a period of life with people with friends with, and you find that the things that they hold dear, that have not really been, you know, the things that you guys have in common
0: that they've only been saying those things just to appease the conversation or to appease the friendship. Those mm-hmm. things are very hurtful. Right. It's that thing of knowing what not to say in public <laughs> yeah. and thinking something different in private and how it accidentally comes out sometimes.
1: Yeah.
0: Dennis, is there anything else you want to share today?
1: That's good we talked about we've covered
0: a lot we have covered a lot and uh, it's been fascinating and I've, I've actually learned a lot too um, it uh, so I really appreciate you taking time and um, you know I hope this reaches um a, you know I hope this reaches uh, a lot of people in, in um, Western Canada by the time it's done circulating because uh, I think there's a lot of good points here I think it's pretty pervasive like we've discussed um, And it's not Canada is not exempt to this issue. And um sorry.
2: No, no, no,
0: I'm sorry. No, I've just yeah, I I feel like you're totally right. Canada is not exempt from this issue. Um we we dress it up better perhaps. Um, but it's still there. And uh hopefully twenty twenty is the year that we can make some real progress in rooting this sort of thing out. I'm hoping. Fingers and toes crossed. And I think that if we have people, if we have people like yourself, stuff Ryan, that are bringing this, you know, bringing this issue out and, and talking to people that are actually involved in what's going on. And you know, and that's the other thing I was explaining to my son that dude, it's important for people
2: like you to get involved in this. You know, um, when, getting involved because you guys are going to be the guys that are going to be the politicians and you guys are going to be uh the heads of these organizations mm-hmm. so you have to start with your setting your foundation up now mm-hmm. you know, don't don't allow people the same old people to be involved in things right. you know,
1: and and that's what i've been saying to anyone that
0: It's like you've got the retired police officers running uh, uh, the independent investigations of of police officers, which are likely their their former colleagues, uh, you know, just a few years ago. Exactly. And how how can you get independent results out of that? You can't.
1: After conversation after conversation, and what has taken place, you know, uh, nothing. Very. So little. let's get, yeah. you know. So let's get some people in there that have. Let's put some people in there that actually, and, and give them some bite.
0: The tools, you know? the tools, and the backing from the administration, to, yeah. to go after an officer that is is breaking the law, and and not doing his duty to the citizens that he's supposed to protect, or she. Yeah,
1: I agree, because we don't have you know, there are ways that changes can be made, you know. Um, you know there are changes that they have to be made, and we need
0: people, we need new blood injected into these systems in order to bring about their change. Let's move the focus over. Totally. Just like what I used to say with music, Dennis, is like, get these... Get Motley Crue off the stage already. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, you know what, Dennis? It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, I hope to talk to you again in the future. Um, maybe we should get your son on before he does his next event, if he's if he's willing. What's his name? Braden. Brayden, cool. Um, yeah, did you did you want to shout out your uh, your business or, or not not on the podcast? No, I'm gay,
1: man. Everything everyone they, they know
0: who I am but they know what I'm doing okay you got it you got it all right well hey thanks again man I appreciate it and you have a good uh Sunday and happy Father's Day okay
1: thank you Ryan.